Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Come look at my phone. I have a TikTok question for us to watch. What? What? A TikTok question? A TikTok question? <laughs> it's a TikTok episode. <laughs> Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts who has more than once had the TikTok person be like, whoa, stop scrolling, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> and I'm your other host, Senda, who has also had the TikTok person ask me if I should be asleep or if I should maybe drink some water or have a meal. Thanks, TikTok. You got my back. <laughs> We're obviously not talking about TikTok no, in today's we're not episode, about but our yeah. question came from TikTok, which is why we're excited. And even better, our question came from our editor, uh, the fantastic uh, Ryan, uh, who also in the video um, is rocking some pretty cool nails. Oh, man, they're very good nails. Like very yeah, yeah, multicolor, yeah. right? Like that's one step above what I could go. If I was to paint my nails. like Yours would be black. I, right. Like just, <laughs> or at least I mean, one color, right? Like I, that's right. all, like that's about all I could take. Right? I, like, no, I mean, tell me, what other color would your nails be besides black? Literally hit no, me no, with a color. True. I don't no. believe you. No, it's true. They would, you all, they would black, be black, correct. You could do black with sparkles. You uh, could do black shiny. Yeah. You could do black with like swirly black bits. <laughs> no, 100%, 100%. I mean, knowing the lack of color in my wardrobe, you are correct. If I was to paint my nails, they, they would be black. I am actually not one who paints my nails. I am a manicure guy. Uh, I do like a very uh, nice manicure of filing down the ridges in my fingers and polishing them like to get them to the nice shine kind of thing. Let, let's Let's be clear, um, you actually keep your nails in much better shape than I keep my nails. Yes. Anyway, again, our topic today is not talking about TikTok <laughs> and or not manicures. talking about manicures, <laughs> which we could in the Bamboo Lounge. We but could, instead, we could go Ryan, that, yeah. Ryan, what's our topic for today? Hey, Phil and Senda. Hey, Pandas. Uh, I have a question for you. I was wondering if you wanted to cover this topic on a future episode of Pandas Talking Games. Um, I wanted to know if you had thoughts on how to set scenes, how to frame scenes. Uh, I know different genres have different styles, like the probably the biggest one is from masks, where you set the scenes as if you are reading a comic book. Uh, I was wondering if you wanted to expand on that at some time. Uh, I thought it would be a really interesting topic. We're actually thinking about that for uh, Character Evolution Cast at some time soon, but we would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Love the show, as they say, uh, and and keep being awesome at uh, what you do because I enjoy editing all your stuff. So, Ryan, the time has come. Let's talk about scenes. Baby, let's talk about you and me. I don't remember the rest of the song. <laughs> let's talk about some definitions that should come from me. Yeah, 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 from you. Good. 
<laughs> yes, we need definitions wow. first. If anyone's Ooh. still listening, thank you. Thank you for still being here with us. I promise the rest of this actually is a little more buttoned down. Okay. Well, yes, I mean, probably. Try okay. Let me run through some definitions for us that will carry us through the rest of the episode. Uh, the first one is scene. A scene is a unit of measure where a set of characters are in a given location for a purpose. The scene ends when the outcome of the purpose has been determined. All right, next topic, the next definition is narrative space. Uh, this is an imagined construct that contains the location and setting in the game, uh, containing where the characters are, what things are around them, sounds, smells, textures, things like that. Uh, we refer to this on Misdirector Mark as the shared narrative space. When we are playing a game, we are all trying to keep the same shared narrative space, right? We obviously all can't connect to one, but each of us, as we listen to the game master and use our imaginations, are trying to construct a very similar narrative space in our heads. And this is how we know what our characters are doing, where they could go, like if there's a door over here or a box over there, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, spotlight is when a given PC is at the center of the action in a given scene. Mm -hmm. Pacing or tempo is the speed at which characters move from scene to scene through a story. Mm -hmm. Smash cut uh, is a film editing technique that cuts abruptly from one scene to another. Yes, uh, not to be confused with Smash Man. Correct. And in media res. Um, is a Latin phrase that means in the midst of things, right? It's a literary term used to describe when a story or scene starts with the character in the middle of the action. Hint, scene. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, Smash Man, that's like a really... That's a deep cut, right? That's a deep cut. Give Smash us a shout, Man Skill give Monkey. Us, yeah. Give us a shout out if you're a listener who knows that reference. Like that's a, <laughs> Deep pandas cuts. That's a deep panda cut. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um... All right. Having set up some definitions that we'll use for the rest of the um, talk today, do you want to talk about like what's in a scene? Like what, what makes up a scene? Yeah. Like the different, the specific elements of a scene, would you say yep. even? Amazing. Yeah. So the scene obviously has a purpose because that's part of our definition of what a scene is. Um, it has a purpose for existing. Why are we having this scene? Um, what question is this scene answering for us? And in fact, just to call out something very specifically, when you run a quick game where you have to keep tight pacing, I've been in your games like this, you actually write down a series of questions we have to answer so that you don't even have to think about like what it is. You're just like, we need to answer this question to move forward. Here's the scene. Well, right? Here, right. Here's the scene. We're going to have a scene to answer this question. To answer this question. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and what does this, what does this scene do to advance the plot forward? So just as a quick GM note, um, if you are working on like prepping a game and you can't answer this question, what is the purpose of the scene? Yeah. You probably don't need the scene. Probably don't need that one. Yeah. Right. Or you need to figure out the answer and then, um, yeah, then rethink do it. the rest of the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, Please continue. Cool. All right. Um, the location. This is pretty straightforward. Where is the scene taking place, right? Um, characters, the PCs and NPCs in the scene, um, and maybe some arguments could be made for other active objects that are not necessarily sentient sure. in the same way. I mean, they're narrative way, right? elements, right? Exactly, right. Sure. Um, opening, um, what is the scene initially described 
um, in in that shared narrative space, where are you starting? And then the closing, how is the scene ending and wrapping up before moving on to the next scene? Yeah, so for the rest of today's episode, we are going to make up a scene in our um, Long Live the Queen game. Yep. And then we're going to manipulate it like putty. (laughs) Yes. So just a reminder, our Long Live the Queen uh, game is a one-on-one game Senda and I play where uh, Senda's character is um, Aveline. She is a uh, spy. Super spy. She's a super spy for the queen. And uh, our backdrop is a 16th century France that has been... um, that has been colonized by time travelers from the future. And so our backdrop is this really interesting mix of things that are very 16th century, but then also the juxtaposition of very modern things uh, placed on top of it. And even some sci-fi things in terms of some technologies and things like that. Okay. So understanding a little bit about our game that we play, um, I'm going to create an example scene. We're Mm going to, I'm going to break it down a little and then as we go through the episode, every time we need an example, I'm going to mess with the scene. Yes. But I'm going to give you the core of it, right? Yeah. And yeah, kind yeah. of the purpose. All right. So, uh, Aveline goes to a club in Paris to get information about a shipment coming in from real time, that's uh, the future, mm-hmm. from her asset, Matteo. Matteo has been ignoring her calls for the last two days. Okay. Right. Or not answering. Yeah, well, Which is ominous. Yes. yes. Um, so the purpose <laughs> of this scene, right, is to find out why Mateo has been ignoring her calls. And this kind of secondary purpose to the scene is to get information about the shipment. Yeah. For sure, the first one's going to get answered depending on other actions. Like if we were to play the scene out in an actual game, this second question question may or may not get answered in that scene. Like it may get pushed to another scene, but yes. could also get answered in the scene. So those two purposes are there. One is the core and the other one's kind of a secondary that I'll just kind of decide during play if it's going to happen or not. Right. If it makes sense narratively. Mm-hmm. Our location is La Arc. It is an upscale club with a view over Paris. Uh, that is actually a real club in modern Paris. I do this often in our games where I pull something from modern Paris and stick it into the past. Um, just because. So La Arc is going to be this rooftop club that is overlooking um, our kind of uh, hybrid um, Paris. Sure. Okay. Um, characters. For sure, we have Aveline. That's that's going to be Santa's character. Matteo. Otherwise, why are we in this scene? Matteo's date. And then, mm-hmm. of course, there's like various club patrons, bouncers and things like that. I don't even know if they'll be important. It would be like through play if I was to pull one of them into like the foreground. Otherwise, like I'm just going to leave them all kind of pushed back and, you know, as background. Part of the, yeah, set dressing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's going to be our example scene where Aveline is going to this club uh, to go looking for her asset to go get some info. But before yes. we do that. Um, let's take a second here to talk about, like, when it comes to scenes, who actually does what? Yeah, because in a in a traditional GM full RPG, um, the setting of scenes is primarily the job of the GM, right? Because you have to, you, you're guiding the story, and so you are laying these scenes out. Um, in many indie games, um, we share this 
or distribute this role um, a lot more, sometimes completely, right? Sometimes partially, just depends on the game. Um, so it's one of the, I think, most commonly distributed functions of um, GMing, honestly, sure. when you start getting into games that explore more of the um, shared um, facilitation. Regardless of the game, right? Um, even if the game says the GMs, you know, set the scene, the GM can always defer this to a player, right? To be mm -hmm. able to say, yeah, what do you think? What is the next, you know, for this thing that you're doing, what's the next thing you want to do? And they will tell you most of the yeah, time. Set, right? it, set it up for me is what I usually say. Set yeah, it up set for it me. up for me. Yeah. Um, so for our examples, we're going to stick with kind of a more traditional GM set like open and closes the scene, but all of our advice works regardless of who is actually doing it. So this is definitely player worthy advice too, especially if you play a lot of games where that um, GM responsibility is distributed or just shared in whatever sense. Like me, I play a lot of those games. We do, we do popcorn scene setup a lot. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I just, and I wanted us to talk about that before we got started because the rest of this example is going to sound very uh, traditional. Yeah. And it's easy just to do it that way for the examples. But by all means, everything that we're saying here uh, is transferable to whomever is doing that activity. Yeah. So. And to be also fair incidentally this game is set in cortex it has a gm role and i am the player so using this scene from our game which happens to be in cortex this is what it would sound like yes right yeah mm -hmm. exactly cool all right so let's talk about the first thing that you when it comes to scenes the first thing that you can kind of manipulate which is openings yes um one of the most important things you can do with scenes is how you set them uh, how a scene is set conveys to the players uh, the initial tone of the scene. And while the tone uh, can and often does change as the scene progresses, the setting of the scene sets, gives the players the cue of what the initial tone is. Yeah. Um, we can set that tone by how we describe the scene, um, including, you know, referencing known media styles. Um, like, for instance, if we're doing a comic book thing, like Ryan said, um, I can actually use words like panel. Yes. Um, you know, or in previous, you know, you know, in previous session, like the little footnotes that they sometimes put in, right? We can, right. and we're going to talk a little bit more about genre emulation and scenes in a little bit. But um, all of those things also play into this. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I am going to uh, give some examples. Sunday's going to give me the prompt. Sure. And then I'm going to go and do that opening. Cool. And then let's chat about it for a second. So we talk yep. about what you did. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's start with like a, a light and fun intro to this scene. Sure. Okay. So it is uh, late summer in Paris and um, the streets are busy as Aveline um, pulls up in her limo mm -hmm. and steps out um, onto the sidewalk where there's like a whole bunch of people in line uh, waiting to get into La Arc. Um, you can hear the music from the rooftop, um, you know, just the, the dance beat coming down from the rooftop. And uh, because you're royalty... Uh, you're ushered right in. So they just like, you know, they the bouncer lets you in and you head up the stairs and just you emerge out onto this patio that's full of uh, lights 
like just one light so that people can see, but there's also a lit dance floor that people are dancing on. And, uh, you know, there's just, the whole thing is just, uh, pulsating with just, you know, people talking and dancing and drinking and having a good time against the backdrop of Paris on the summer evening. As you spot Matteo, uh, sitting at a booth, um, like by the edge of like by the far edge of the building as you, you know, step out onto it. Yeah. So to me, that was both like climate wise, that was a pleasant temperature, right? Mm -hmm. It just immediately was pleasant. It's evening, but everybody's having fun. Um, There's sort of just like a sense of um, everybody is out having fun. And even though I have a specific task that I need to go accomplish, which may or may not be fun, like the world around me doesn't feel dark or oppressive or any of those things, right? Like it's a summer night. It's a fun summer night. And it actually, you didn't say this, but in my head, I was imagining a lot of sparkle because mm-hmm. if there was a lot of lights and then there's a lot of, um, cause one of the things that happens in this game is like a, a weird mix of future present and past, um, clothing choices. And so a lot of like jewelry sparkle off a lot of that light, um, was kind of happening for me visually as you described it. I don't know. What else do you want to say about that particular approach? No, I mean, in my head, right, I'm picturing this, you know, this kind of vibrant party um, as you're kind of moving through it. People are laughing, dancing, you know, somebody checks you out, you know, you know, somebody checks you out. Somebody's trying to get your attention to get a drink, that kind of thing as you're like moving through, um, moving through the space. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's try this in a darker and more ominous tone. So you pull up in front with your limo in front of the club. It's after hours. Um, There are no lights. Uh, The bouncer goes to turn you away, but a little money um, greases his palm uh, as you tell him you need to go meet somebody upstairs. Um, You head upstairs and you can just you can smell the stale alcohol. the staircase is dark, it's sticky. And when you come out onto the rooftop while it's warm out, um, everything is like the sign of a party's been over. The lights are off. There's a bartender who's cleaning up the bar, but um, there are cups and things sitting on various tables. The dance floor is, the whole place is empty. The dance floor is off. Um, There's various bottles and things occasionally um, found on the ground, uh, like a single shoe, those kinds of things. And off in the corner, um, Mateo and one other person are sitting there um, under a uh, single incandescent light. Yep. That's different. <laughs> yeah. That's completely different, right? And that's that's a that's a difference of um all, not just the the description that you're using and the setting that you're creating but also like number of people. Yep. Um the timing of the scene. Yep. You're putting it after close instead of during the party, right? Um yeah. Boy, I would approach that conversation significantly more cautiously under those circumstances, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> and, and and that's a thing that we GMs, and I, I think I have a little space for us to talk about this towards the end of the episode, but there's a thing as a GM that how you describe something also helps convey tone, kind of gives cues to the player 
about, you know, this is this is what's going on, whether the player chooses to um, turn into that or turn away from it. Right. That's a choice. Um, but you're reading the context of the room. Right. So that's how you convey light and dark. Now, same I mean, same purpose, same location. Right. Yeah. But we've changed the like how what's going to happen. What's the next beat of that scene is probably different. Yeah. And and you can you can make minor changes, I think, to even that will have a very similar effect. If you needed the, the the club to be populated, you could still make choices that made it darker, right? Oh, sure, absolutely. Or ominous, right? Like the feel of the crowd could be very different. Exactly. Um, Etc. Right. So. Yeah, or I could de-emphasize the crowd, right? I could be yes. like, there's you know the crowd dances and you know people get drinks at the bar, but in this like dark corner away from all the bright lights, you can see Mateo and one other person sitting, leaning over towards each other, talking in hushed whispers. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and a lot of it is about where you put your focus like that. Right. Exactly. Yes. So yeah. So could even, I can darken just a, like I can have this kind of lighter background, but darken the foreground. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what I was going for, too, in mm-hmm. terms of trying to say it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to the actual description affecting the tone of how we approach the scene as characters, um, you can also control, and this is something we've talked about before, but you can talk um, or you can control how close or far from the purpose you set the scene to open it, which also can influence the tone and influences kind of the first actions you take. And where we've talked about it before is it has a massive influence on the pacing of your game, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to do some more examples? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So same scene. Here we go again. Um, We're going to do the example of a a farther back opening, right? This is the slow ramp opening. Yeah, so I'm going to go further back. Like I consider the scene we did pretty far back, but yeah, I will was, actually go I will actually back, go yeah. a little further back, right? Yeah, go further back, yeah. All right. So like as you um as your car, your limo moves up the Champs-Élysées, you can see the lights of La Arc on top of the building looking down onto the street. And your limo then rolls up to the sidewalk and one of the bouncers opens the door as you step out. There are people in line waiting to get in. Dot 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 dot. Right. Back yes. and then so and so connect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I can like I can like you can I can start really far back. No, right. We could we could have started with uh leaving my house. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> like yeah, however far back you want to go. At some point it gets a little uh ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At some point it's the previous scene. Um Cool. Yeah. Um, Cool. So let's do an example then of a a closer opening. Sure. So you emerge from the staircase onto uh, La Arc, the main bar of La Arc, which is on top of the rooftop. And you can see Mateo sitting at a table talking to a woman. People are dancing on the dance floor, generally having a good time. The music's playing. There's a DJ uh, in the opposite corner from where Mateo is. Um, And you know, you. what do you do next? Yeah. I'll just cut it off right there. Right, right. So that time we didn't even bother with a limo ride. We yeah. didn't set the atmosphere by going into the club. Um, we just started at walking into the room that Mateo's in. Exactly. Right? 
Yep. We could, if you wanted to get even closer, we could start with you slide into the bench next to Mateo, right? Well, like, we're getting, well, you're getting really close to the in media res. Uh, right? I mean, so, well, no, mm, I think you could still get in media res more than that, but, um, yeah, but that, sorry, does it's a close? Is I feel like we're doing the thing, you know, that Muppet scene. Not Muppet Grover. The no, 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 no. It's Near, the it's, it's far. The, the Saturday Night Live sketch with the giant Muppet. <laughs> I thought um, you were talking anyway. about Sesame Street. I near, was kind of right far. far. Yes, near. Anyway, good. <laughs> All right, so good. Let's do an example of this scene if we were in media res. So you're in La Arc as the table flips over, and Mateo jumps over the falling table and starts running for the dance floor. Yeah. See, that's in media res, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. A, I a love good that. example. I want to chase him. <laughs> a good example of in media res openings are most James Bond movies. Yes. Uh, most James Bond movies open in the middle of something. You're like kind of not sure what is going on and you just follow the action for a little while. It's a great in media res is a great hook. Yes. Uh, for getting players engaged. Um, my opening uh, scene in my first session of Ox yeah. was a countdown before a solar beam was about to uh, fry this receptor station on a planet. Yeah, heck, make them act quick before they can yeah. think too hard about like, well, what would my character do? <laughs> exactly, right? And there's places for media res openings. Um, I love in media res openings for con games. Like it's a great way to snap the table too. Yeah. Absolutely. With the right style game. I don't do it all the time. I'm not a in media res like every scene. And again, I will tell you that in media res is um, a spice. Oh, yeah. Right. So use it like a spice, right? Don't overuse it, but use it to enhance the flavor of something in particular. It is one of the tools in your toolbox. Yes. It is not all of the tools in your toolbox. Yep. You and in fact, use that just the that, right tool for the right thing, right? Yeah. And, and if we're talking about a dial, right, when you're talking about opening a scene, right, you can go all the way back. It's like a zoom, like on a camera, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you can go all the way to in media res. Yep. All the way forward. And you just need to decide. Uh, there's two parts to this, right? If we're just going to get a little technical here. Um, so how close you get to the purpose, right? Where you're opening like starts. Um, some people don't like um, wandering shots, right? Yeah. Like, like some people want to just get to the monkey, right? They want their, they want their opening to start fairly close to the purpose of the scene. Yeah. And we talked about in media res being kind of a, a certain tool to kind of um, shock you into um, what's going on, right? Starting a game by role for initiative is a great way to capture everyone's attention. Yep. Um, but the reason why you might want to use a farther opening, right, is a stylistic thing. And if you think to media where like a camera starts somewhere and zooms in and like kind of follows people and then eventually lands upon a character, that's that kind of farther opening. And so farther openings are kind of a style thing, right? It's like just where do you want to 
uh, be. When I was younger, I used to fall into this trap of using the farther opening as a realism thing where it was like, well, we should talk about how you walked over to the place and opened the door and, well, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Did you but, use the bathroom before you went in? <laughs> right. Well, I'm, as I got older, what I learned is to just, um, and again, this is my own GM preference. I like to, I envision my games, like in my head, I envision them like movies or TV shows. Yes. And I'm not saying that they emulate them. I'm saying when I picture them in my head. Yeah, so visuals. I picture things with a camera. Yeah. So sometimes I like that wandering shot uh, because I want to set something up. Right. Yeah. Use a wandering shot to set tone. Um, use a wandering shot to introduce something that's new. Yeah. Right. Like take that time before you zoom in on the players. But, you know, close openings are if you want to kind of get to the purpose of the scene, like in the middle of a game, I am much more likely to use a close opening. Yeah. I don't need to talk about how we got here. I'll just be like, cool, let's cut to you inside the arc. Right. We don't necessarily need to spend time um, on how did my character feel about the traffic or lack thereof between yeah. her townhouse and the club. Yeah. Like, so for instance, if our adventure was opening yeah. with you going to Lark, sure. I am more likely, and this is me as a preference, I am more likely to use the farther opening because it's like the, it's like the fade into a movie. Yeah. Right. Because we... We don't, we haven't seen all this stuff yet. We don't right. know it. Yeah. But if we had already played a scene or two and you were like, I haven't been able to get a hold of Mateo, I'm going to find him. Yeah. Right. I'm going to go to La Arc because that's where he always hangs out. I would be like, cool, let's cut to you walking into La Arc. Yeah. There's no reason to, to play. Correct. Right. But Again, there's no I would purpose, just... right? That's really what we should say is there's no purpose. If we're playing the how I got there, then we're playing it for a specific purpose. So having said that, have I played, have we specifically played out some of my like car ride transportation between one place and another? Sure. Yes, because it's been scenes that have a purpose um, yes. for conversations with other characters, etc. Right. Like yeah. those conversations could have happened anywhere. It made sense for them to happen in the car. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is to GMs, um, be cognizant of where you're opening your scenes, because if you are opening them further back and not for a reason, yeah, consider opening them closer. Yeah, right? I, I am definitely a fan of um, far shots only for. Um, you know, just with purpose, I guess that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing about pulling back and starting um, from far away is that it should be used the same way that you would use in media res, right? It's a tool. It is a pacing tool, a genre emulation tool, and, um, and, a, and you know, a tool for description and that sort of thing. But it is, it can't be an all the time thing yep. because it will lose its power to be effective. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you need a screw, use a screwdriver. And when you need a nail, you use a hammer. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I guess what I, I will close that out before we move on to closings sure. with the idea that if you are a GM and you've been using this kind of either farther or mid to far opening just as a default because you haven't thought about it, consider just being more mindful when you are describing and opening scenes of how far out you are from your purpose. And, you know, take that, um, take that as a challenge to 
try to move some of your, occasionally move your scenes closer. Yeah, which does require, and this is not always a thing that we think about, um, especially sometimes improving, right? Um, but it does require that you understand what the purpose of the scene is that you're setting up so that you know how close or far you are. Like, that's really key. It means you you have to know it going in so that you can make a, 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 make a decision for a reason instead of just making a decision because it's how you do it, right? Which goes back to the first thing we said, yep, right? Purpose. Scenes need to have purposes. If yep. you don't know the purpose of your scene, you, like you said, you can't you determine wander. where to open it on it. Yeah, you're going to wander around trying to Correct. find it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. let's move right on to closings though, right? Because we got yep. some more demos to do and it'll be exactly. fun to see what the closing of the scene is. So um, how we close the scene is also important, obviously, because the closing of the scene allows us to get to the opening of a new scene um, that, you know, and then the closing of that scene. Um, the measure of the closing is how soon does the scene end after the purpose has been achieved. So again, you have to know the purpose of the scene so that you know you can make an informed decision about this when you're chopping off the end here. Um, and, and then you're, how much time are you giving that scene to wrap up once the purpose is accomplished, right? That's what we're talking about here. So before we can actually talk about this, we have to talk about how did Aveline get her information? How do, how do I figure this out? I'm just gonna let you feed it to me. Yeah, I mean, let me just ask you, right? So like you confront Mateo. Right. Um, we'll, we'll skip the immediate res one. You walk up and you confront Mateo. Um, are you doing it friendly? Do you, you know, do you threaten him a little? What's the, how do you get him in line? Boy, um, I have some thoughts, some of which I'm not going to say on this podcast. Um, cool. Was it, was it spicy? It was spicy. Yeah. Okay. There was maybe some a little seduction. Um, there might have been a little bit of like cruel seduction that immediately came to mind. Okay. Gotcha. A girl's got to use the tools at her disposal. Sure. Um, cool. Mind you, folks, <laughs> Long Live the Queen is actually um, a Katie Roberts esque. <laughs> Katie Roberts esque story. If you know, you know. If you don't, look up Katie Roberts. But well, Long I mean, Live if, the Queen is a Katie Roberts esque story, <laughs> so sex is absolutely on the table. Okay, 100% anyway, hundred percent thing. Okay, but other solutions, right? Yes. My thought is that it probably starts friendly, um, at least on the surface, with a little bit of undertone of like, "What the fuck, my dude? Okay. Um, we are explicit. You have been warned." Okay, great. All right. So, um, all right. So, yeah, so this, so with a little bit of threat, um, you know, and an embarrassing him a little with his date sitting at the table, yeah. um, he, um, agrees to get you the info you need by tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Cool. So that's just, that's, that's the information. Okay. So now that's let's do our yeah. examples. Okay, cool. So first let's do the long closing. Yeah. So you get to, so you get the information. He's, so Mateo looks at you and he's like, look, I get it. I'm sorry. I know I should have contacted you when you texted me. I just, I got busy. Um, it won't happen again. Uh, I will uh, look into that. I will text you tomorrow and we can meet up and I'll get what you need. Fantastic. Can, can I, can I buy you two a drink? Um, gets kind of a gleam in his eye. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, He's like, you know what? I, I'll even like, let me go get it. And you two sit. Yeah, cool. And uh, you wind up sitting 
with Mateo and his date, um, chatting for a bit, having a few drinks. Um, you find out um, that she's um, uh, she actually is. Um, she also works at Kronos. Um, she is a um, she works in one of the warehouses uh, at Kronos. She's not nobility, um, but she like she got a job by applying um, when Kronos, you know, set up operations uh, outside of Paris. So she's works in the warehouse and is now like a warehouse manager. Yeah, amazing. Um, this is the yeah. point at which in this scene, if we were playing this in the game, she would immediately become a target of mine to create a relationship for future information feeds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I would spend the scene now doing that. <laughs> yep. And then like, I might be like, so you guys finished drinking, you know, through the evening. Um, are you going home alone? Would be probably the last question. You don't have to answer yeah. that for this game. Cool. Um, <laughs> but like, I would let that like, uh, imagine, right. So we've like, Mateo already resolved the purpose of the scene. And then we kind of drifted into this thing with Mateo's date and then a little bit of conversation and then asking you, like, did you go home alone at the end yeah. of the night kind of thing? Spoilers, the answer is no. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Again, Katie Roberts' book. Okay, yeah. that's a long closing, right? We've, we resolved the original purpose of the scene a while ago. And in fact, you evolved a new purpose. Yeah, I evolved uh, a new um, purpose for the scene yeah. because we just sat there letting it go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Let's do it again, but let's do a short closing. Yep. So Mateo looks at you and he's like, look, I'm sorry I blew you off. I get it. Um, I will go in tomorrow. I will find out what you need. I will... Uh, text you and we can meet up and I will, uh, I'll share with you, uh, that information. Okay. Don't let it happen again. Cool. All right. So you've finished with Mateo. Where do you want to go to next? Are you done for the evening working? Do you want to head to Margo's? Um, or is there something else on your list that you want to take care of? Yeah, I'm going to go to Margo's. Yeah. Okay. See, boom, <laughs> right? Like, done. done. Yep. So this is, all right. So closings are another way to mold a scene is where do you trail it off, right? If we are um, looking to get some stuff done, right? I want to pick up the pace on the story. Um, basically forcing that question, right? What do you do? Um, I'm moving, I'm indicating that this scene's done and I want to move you to something else. And it's interesting to me, actually, I'm just going to point this out, even in a traditional GM full game, and in both of those examples that we did, as a player, I have a little bit more power to manipulate the end of the scene than I do the beginning of a scene, because yeah. I also played both of those scenes to the long and the short as a player in those examples, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And you could even, I could have, so to expand upon this, I could have created the long opening, but you could be like, I'm done with him. I'm going to head out of here and go to Margo's. Yeah. Like you could set up a long opening. We do the scene, we get to the purpose and then I'm like, cool, I'm done. I'm out. Right. Yeah. There's no long ending. Right. Yeah. As a player, and I can, I can just be like, nope, on to the next thing. Yep. Exactly. So you're hundred percent correct. As a player, you have a little more um, influence on that closing. You can take a long closing and shorten it, you can take a short closing and, and expand it. Yeah, I think it's important too as a GM to pay attention because when I when I sat down at the table with Mateo and his date and said, can I buy you a drink? That was me, a player saying, I think there's more interesting stuff to do here yes. and I want to stay, right? Yeah. So that's me like as a player signaling, let's have a long closing. Yep. And yeah. because we are playing a one-on-one -on -one game, 
Um, and yeah. because and we'll be <laughs> yeah. talking about this in a second, yeah. because there is no spotlight. We don't have to worry that about that We have that to stuff. worry about it. Yeah. Uh, we are, uh, I am perfectly comfortable when you want to uh, pursue something or lengthen a scene or take a long ending. It like, I, we just go with it because do it. I don't have to go anywhere else. Yeah. There's no other spotlight that we have to share. And as a exactly. player, I don't have to be aware of that as a player, because you have that power to lengthen the end of a scene or to shorten the end of the scene. It, that is one of those times that it's very important to be aware of the spotlight sharing at the rest of the table. Anyway, which mm -hmm. we're going to talk about next. Let's talk about spotlight manipulation. Although this is a little bit more GM um, centric again than player centric, but just know like you have that power um as a player also to end a scene quickly to get spotlight onto someone else yeah so here's the thing with spotlight manipulation sometimes things happen at the same time in the chronology of the game yeah but because we live in linear time yeah we can't play them out in actual real parallel Right. Yeah. We can simulate playing them out in parallel by playing one and then going to the other one and playing a bit of that and coming back to the first one or to a third one, that kind of thing. Right. Um, even if we're all in the same scene together. Right. That still happens when it's like, OK, well, what's Aveline doing? What's this? And, you know, what's this character doing? What's this character doing? Or they can be in separate places. What's Aveline doing? over here while what is Suzette doing over, you know, like a cross town kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of games that focus on combat have initiative to mechanically deal with this, right? Like that's what initiative is, is like, how do we both line up a series of people who are going to take actions, but like also we're kind of pretending that this is all happening at the same time. Correct. Right. And so, <laughs> right. Initiative creates a initiative creates a linear framework by which we process the combat. When we are in narration, we don't actually have that framework. Right. right. So the GM becomes responsible for what's called moving the spotlight. Right. So the GM pulls the spotlight away from one player, puts it onto another player to make things happen. Now, Again, because of pesky constraints of time, right? We have to play this whole thing out linearly, even, even though sometimes things are happening in parallel. Yes. And we can mess with that narrative-wise by how frequently uh, we move the spotlight. Yeah. Right? So I could set something up. Like, let's say we had a second player who is playing one of your NPCs on your team, Suzette. Yes, good choice. Um, and they, while you're talking to Mateo, um, they are across town uh, bugging a Kronos executive's car. Sure. Mahanus? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, so we have two options to play out these scenes, right? Um, we have more than two options, but let me give you the ex extremes. On one end, I could just do your scene. Yep. Right? And then I can just, when when I'm done doing your scene, I can just say, okay, and while that was occurring, and then I can do Suzette's scene. Right. Um, the problem with that is while I'm doing your scene, Suzette's player is just sitting, yes. not doing anything. Yep. And when I'm doing Suzette's scene, I'm you're just, just sitting. sitting there. Right? Yeah. Um, or I can start to bounce back and forth between the two. Right. So I can um, I could do every beat. Yeah. Right. I could be like, you walk up the steps, Suzette, what do you do? 
you approach the car. Okay, you like step out into the arc. Description, description, description. You see Mateo across the road. Okay, Suzette, you pick the door, lock to the door, right? And I could bounce like literally back and forth between those. It's a bit much. It's difficult right? like, for everyone to get invested enough in what's going right. on because there wasn't enough time to get invested. Correct. It's yeah. a bit much, but you could do it for stylistic purposes. Yeah. Now, the better way to do it is a couple beats. And then when there's like kind of a, a pause or a slow beat, cut over to the other one, do a couple beats, cut back kind of thing, right? There's a middle ground. Yeah. From I would even posit that it doesn't have to be a slow beat because it can also be interesting to cut on a cliffhanger. Sure. Um, so, but but basically when there is a, a clear moment to cut, whether that means a cliffhanger or a downbeat, whatever that is, right? If people want to talk about spotlight management, we have to do a whole other show. I know. I, we may have already done a whole other show have. about it. It's, Go back and look in our 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 archives. It's been a while, so it otherwise might be time we to could do it again. dust yep. one off and do one again. I don't want to get too deep into We're it, but gonna. I just want to say that when it comes to scenes, spot my spotlight manipulation is also a tool that a GM has because I can take a scene to a certain spot and then stop it by going to another place. Yeah. Okay. Good. And that well, so has an effect too. Let's move on from that just yes. because it is a different conversation. And let's talk about the other piece that Ryan was talking about, which is the effect mm -hmm. of genre and tropes on yep. your scene setting. Yeah. So we talked about the tools of setting, closing and spotlight manipulation. Those all play into how um, like how those are used for different genres. Yes. Right. So really quick, if we were doing a horror game, and I want to build tension. Yeah. I will use a farther opening. Yeah. And then I will describe things ominously. And I will describe things like in like slow tones, spooky, right? And I'll just make that scene kind of go so that it's getting more and more tense before I um, like before I get you to the purpose of that scene. Yeah. And then you have a big sudden arrival at the purpose yeah. of the scene. Yeah. A boo moment. Um, so if we're doing like uh, for Long Live the Queen, I think that this is a lot of how both of us consider this. Um, if we're doing like the opening of a spy thriller, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that one uh, would work pretty well for In Media Res. We were talking about um, like James Bond movies. Absolutely. Um, earlier, right? Just jumping right into an action sequence um, immediately because then spy thriller. Ooh. Yeah. So before we go on with any more examples, what I want to say here is when you consider genre, right, you've got to really sample the genre to understand um, what are the conventions, right? If you're doing a Star Wars game, right, what is the opening of like, what is the do you do an in media res for the opening of a Star Wars like game? Well, kind of. But first, you got to do the crawl. We got to do the crawl and then you got to do the do, 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 really, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Right, like, like you pan down to something. And then when you zoom in on the something you pan down to, that's probably in media res at that happening. point. Yeah. yeah. But first you got to do the crawl. Yeah. Then you got to do the zoom to the thing. Then you yeah. start in media res. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like we, so we understand that. Right. And if we think about like, um, for instance, if we think about like an Avengers movie, right, uh, not the first one, but like Avengers 2 and Infinity War and stuff like that open in media res. Yeah. 
Avengers 2 opens very much in a media res, right? Like it opens up with them assaulting um, the Hydra, the Hydra base kind of thing. Um, but what you want to pay attention to is with genre, you want to get an idea, like sample certain genres, sample material from those genres, go to TV tropes, set a timer. Right. So that you don't disappear inside TV tropes. I like that you've been warning people to set a timer when they go to TV tropes for like five years now. <laughs> set a timer. I get sucked into that thing constantly because I am fascinated by some of the tropes. Um, but I will tell you, like any like I've been working on something uh, for uh, and I'll talk about it more in the Bamboo Lounge. But I was working. I've been working on something for Action Movie World this week for my players. And it has required me to go um, sample a bunch of genres. Right. Like genre for a particular, in this case, like a cannonball run esque movie. So I'm like watching movies, like I'm reading stuff. I'm looking at TV tropes to better understand the tropes, the conventions. If you're doing a um, police procedural, right, you could do your scene setting. Uh, Like you could look at law and order. Law and order almost always starts with... um, somebody finding the crime and if you're doing it as an rpg you probably will cut out the um you'll cut out the first scenes which is usually some bystander who finds the crime and you'll cut in which is usually after the intro of the show where the detectives now are on scene but you might open with okay you are standing on a street corner there is a body on the ground as the plainclothes cop is explaining to you what happened right that's a that's a genre of like that's a genre of a particular type of media that you might want to emulate right or um one of the ones that I do all the time which is magical girl anime right um, the stereotypical beginning to an episode of that show is um, you're running late to school. Sure. Right? You, first, Absolutely. you have to go to school. Everybody has to meet up at school. Um, you're going to see each other. Your hair is going to flow in the wind. You got a piece of toast in your mouth as you run. Right. Um, so we got like all of that stuff. And then we, you know, move from the everyday into the magical at the moments when those blend. I feel like my... Um Children of the Shroud game is a bit magical girl. It actually is. You, 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 you're doing it kind of by accident, but it's a yes. lot. They have, they, they even store their weapons in hammer space. Like that is a, well, that, that, that convention we knew, right? That convention right. we purposely knew. We had to solve a problem with that. I know, but it's, you solved the yes. problem the same way that anime solved the problem. Not the same way we specifically used anime's solution. Yeah, you for said it. this yep. is the solution. Yeah. yeah. And all, the only thing that you don't have is that when they pull out their weapons, they don't get an outfit change, right? Like that's really all you're missing. Yes, <laughs> and 100%. just to be clear, I wouldn't be sad if they did. So like, if you want to pull that in at some point when they like power up or something like. No boy. Delicious. I don't know if we can jump that genre that, that like this late <laughs> in the show. Um, anyway, to come back to the idea of genre, right? It really is about um, taking those elements, right? The, the opening, the closing, the spotlight manipulation, the um, way that you convey tone, right, with words and looking to see how a genre does it and then figuring out how to do that in a role playing game. Yeah. And using in your descriptions, even I would say, um, describing the same types of things that are genre mm-hmm. appropriate, um, yes. like flying cherry blossoms or 
Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. No, exactly. Right. We're but laughing, like, but yeah. Yeah. Falling cherry for falling cherry blossoms is a trope. Yeah. Um, and it's good because, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, tropes are short handles. They're like shortcuts to being able to explain certain things or help genre enforce a genre so that people get what's going on. Yeah, they're shared narrative space enforcement, right? Exactly, right? They're, yeah. the, they're the shortcuts that if I say that thing, like if, when you said falling cherry blossoms, I actually didn't picture real cherry blossoms. No, you pictured cartoon cherry blossoms I, I on a breeze. I 100% pictured exactly. exactly. That's yeah. what I mean, right? Because yep. that's that's the trope. <laughs> and that's how tropes work, right? Yes. So when we said, when, when Senda said, oh, you got to open with the crawl, right? Yeah. If I started reading to you the opening of a Star Star Wars adventure and was like, and yeah. I started to read you the narration, you're going to see I'm the I'm going to crawl. visualize it as a crawl. Yeah. Yes, I exactly. absolutely am. And then when you say the camera pans down to the surface of a planet and we zoom in, I know exactly what's going on. Exactly. And does it feel more like a Star Wars yes. game? Yes. Yes. Yes, 100%. Yes. Right. And that's how you take genre and that's how you take genre and tropes and scenes and work that together. Yeah. That's how that works. Cool. All right. Let me give a quick little conclusion and then we're going to wrap up. Sure. Right. Scenes are a basic building block of RPGs. And while they have similar structure across games by changing the way they open, how they close and how long the spotlight stays on them, we can change how they feel. Yeah, we can also change our narration to change how it feels um, both by description, by adding in a narrator voice, by our language choices, the images that we evoke, and the speed at which we are speaking, right? That's one we mm -hmm. don't think about very often, but it's very, very true. Yes. So for your next game, pick a scene or two and be mindful of the parameters that we talked about today and uh, change them up a little and see um, what kind of scenes you can make. Yeah, have fun with it. It's good times. Awesome. Cool. Senda, um, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Sure. On Bonus Experience, Monica and her friends explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor that gaming has to offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Ooh, bring in the balloons and the confetti. Drum roll, please. Yeah, you can find us at misdirectedmark.com slash panda. That has all the Everything. ways that you can find us everywhere. And it means that every time we add or remove an additional piece of social media or another way that you can get a hold of us, we will simply keep that page up to date. Say it one more time. Yes, it is misdirectedmark.com slash panda. Cool. Yay. Ask me the thing. Ask you the thing. Oh, yeah. Once people have found us in one of those places, I was so excited about the page. I know. I know. But anyway, once people have found that page, which is, again, misdirectedmark.com slash panda, what can they do with all those different ways to contact us? 
Yeah, so like Ryan did, send us a question. Ask us to talk about a particular topic. Uh, throw something out that is just a thing that you would either like to be better at or you struggle with, whatever it is. Our goal is to make GMing more better fun for you um, because as we worked out in our laboratory, the secret formula for happiness <laughs> is more better fun games equals more games equals more playing equals more time with people. And all of that leads to increase in happiness. We have, there are formulas, there's data and charts. Do not argue with us about this. This is irrefutable <laughs> um, scientific evidence. Um, so that's what we're here for. We are going to apply our many decades of actual gaming. We're going to apply our over a decade of combined experience Oof. in giving advice. Yes. In, in um, podcast advice. Yep. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to donate. We're going to put that all to work for you to help you fulfill the magic equation. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, I feel like what we do here elsewhere on the Mr. Dr. Mark podcast network, so consider supporting our Patreon campaign, go to patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, they're goodies. Um, First of all, you get access to Slack Room for Life. Uh, you can hang out with us on Fridays. You can dive into like a Scrooge McDuck. You can dive into our podcast archive, which is chocked full of, of episodes, <laughs> like an obscene number of episodes <laughs> are in there. I'm imagining someone diving into a pile of like, I don't know, digital media. It's, it's kind of a strange vision like a and Scrooge it flies McDuck. everywhere Correct. and then they come up and they spit it out. Yep. See again, back to trope, right? As yes. soon as I said like Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> you knew exactly what I was talking about. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and then at some of the other tiers, you can get access to like the children of the shroud stuff. And it won't always be children of the shroud when children of Shroud ends. Uh, it'll be the other MM Play stuff. So there'll be other materials that come out um, through that. It's just Children of the Shroud right now because that's what we're playing. Uh, and also you can get access to like the development um, layer, which gets you to like all sorts of things that we're in the process of developing. I will probably in a couple of weeks, put the action movie world thing that I've been working yes. on into the development. Um, it is reasonably laid out enough that I'm not embarrassed of it. So um, once I let Bob comb over it one more, like one more time uh, laid out, I probably will put it out there. So if you're into action movie world or, you know, want to do your own cannonball run, you'll be able to do that as well. Anyway, moving on. Um, if you're supporting our Patreon campaign, thank you very much. If you're unable to support our Patreon campaign, we understand there is a thing you can do that can still help us. A number of you have been a direct benefit of it. So please pay it forward. Senda, what is that thing? Well, wherever your social media home is at this point, um, if someone is looking for a podcast and we match that description, which is probably, you know, game agnostic gaming advice or talky talk shows, um, let them know. If you think that they would be into this show, we really appreciate you spreading the word. And honestly, we uh, get a lot more new listeners by individuals just telling each other about it than we do via any other source, <laughs> um, which is why we love it so much. But you can also leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice wherever you listen to this show. And we really do appreciate those as well. That's kind of like telling a stranger that you like the show and then maybe they'll listen to it. It's pretty great, too. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. Uh, say, Senda, what are you going to do now that you have that info from Mateo? On the shipment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go get it.
This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop! Yeah. Here we be. Here we go. The no, the flow. You remember do- that? Yes, I absolutely do. And every now and then it gets stuck in my head. I'm still following that guy somewhere, I think. But the guy with um, the sweater, right? Yeah, the sweater. Yeah. Um, he, has, he has a baby now that got a baby version of the same sweater. It's really the cute. halcyon days of uh, TikTok. <laughs> oh, TikTok. You know what the problem is? My earliest fondest memory of, of TikTok are also um, entangled with doom scrolling during the pandemic. Oh my God. Yeah, right. That's like, also true. All those early things and all those early TikTok songs. Like and like, weird trends and stuff. Yeah. We were like all I will totally down. like I totally love them. But then like when I pull back the camera, I'm like, oh right. Like I was barricaded in my house with cloth masks hoping not to die. Like Yeah. Yeah. That. I I was talking to um Rob the other night about like the um well, another world changing event, but also make sure you get your timesheets in by Friday. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that like when I'm pretty sure that like my when my parents, um, when Kennedy was shot, I'm pretty sure school ended that day. Right. Like everybody right. went home. I don't even like I'm, I'm, I'm barely even blinking anymore when they're like, oh, Trump's indicted. Again. Again, I'm like, okay. I mean, I was <laughs> running a meeting during the January 6th insurrection, right? And it was like, on one hand, like I'm, I've got my chair rolled over looking in the living room, watching the Capitol under assault. Oh and my then God. I take myself off mute and I'm like, okay, so let's go over the action items uh, before, our, <laughs> you know, before we wrap up the meeting. Yeah, yeah like exactly. That mm-hmm. kind of, um, the psychological damage from having to, um, handle that level of duality like yeah it's we not didn't, good everything stopped on september 11th right like everything invalidly. did stop yes now i will um but like and here we are and like we're like there's a massive insurrection at the capitol and we're literally like well i just put it on on the second screen and i'm still Correct. working like, what? <laughs> now, I will say the Gen X equivalent, and you were too young for this, the Gen X equivalent of that is when I was in sixth grade was the Challenger disaster. Sure, and that's, we that's true. all went to the auditorium to watch the Challenger sh- take off. They and showed then a lot of children. It blew up. Yes. While we were in the auditorium. And then they were like, okay, um, you know, auditorium time's done. Let's return everybody to their classrooms. Oh my God, because they had no idea what to do. That wasn't supposed to happen. Oh man, like. what? Do you, I mean, you're a teacher and you've just I shown would, your entire school a spaceship blow up with people on it. What do yes, you do? Like you I, are not equipped to deal with that situation. I would like to just live in some boring times. Like, yes. I would just. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know if this is real or not, but. There's an ancient curse that yes, Terry right? Pratchett may you live in interesting use, times. Right? May you yeah. live in interesting times, and Man, it just—I get it now, right? I used to think that right. was—I used to think that was funny. It's not. It's <laughs> terrible. It's a terrible curse. But now I understand it. It's not funny. It's a mean curse. It's very bad. All right. Anyway, Bloop. okay. Hey, uh, um, Ryan, 
note for you, you're going to need to get your TikTok video um, audio pulled. Yeah, from... we can we can drop you the link so that you don't have to fish back Correct. through your own feed to try and figure out which one it is. Just going to just going to give you a hint that that might be a thing you will need um, in a few minutes. Uh, yes. In fact, we'll even put the words Ryan insert audio. Um, yeah, Ryan, here your audio goes here. Yes. Okay, let's get uh, let's get lined up and get some room noise for Ryan, and then we'll jump into this. Yes. Okay, here we go. Bloop. So, but what if I really did, like, hang plants over my kitchen window? Like, I don't know. I think, I think it'd be good. It's called the bamboo lounge. <laughs> Talk about it in the bamboo no, lounge. No, no, no. In the bamboo lounge, we're talking about Barbie with no spoilers to the best of my ability, right? Very good. Yeah. I will have a far less important topic to discuss. In- no, that's okay. You can still talk. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll knowing you granted you, right? me permission right. to speak. Thank yes. you. Your queen gives you permission to speak. If that is even remotely oh how anything my worked. God. Let me do that's this. Why, that's why it's funny. No. It's <laughs> not fair. <laughs> Give you the look over my eyeglasses. <laughs> That is an unfair advantage. <laughs> All right. Button it up. Let's get to work. Okay. Bloop. Okay. I was going to say we need like, we need like a yay, like the children applause sure. special effect. Yeah. I don't Ryan, know. Ryan you're, you're not on the hook for that. Yep. Just. <laughs> okay. Do, 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 Bloop. Okay, Ryan, this is, this is where you put your audio here your topic audio just put it right in here right there this part this yep. part right here stuff about scene setting from ryan Bloop. show me what you got show, <laughs> show me, me what, what you got. got show me what you got show me what you got 